Hey everybody, Sean Rosenstiel here. Welcome back to the video series of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I'm so excited that we're finally at the end of our journey here. This mind map has fleshed itself, fleshed itself out pretty well here at this point, hasn't it? We've covered a lot of ground over the past few weeks and I'm excited that we're closing in on the end of our journey here. So this video we're talking about chapter 15, how to outwit the six ghosts of fear. Let's dive right in. So Napoleon starts out with this first key point, which is three enemies. And I'm on page 203 now. He says that before you can put any portion of this philosophy into successful use, your mind must be prepared to receive it. The preparation is not difficult. It begins with study, analysis, and understanding of three enemies, which you shall have to clear out. These are indecision, doubt, and fear. The sixth sense will never function while these three negatives or any of them remain in your mind. The members of this unholy trio are closely related. Where one is found, the other two are close at hand. Indecision is the seedling of fear. Remember this as you read. Indecision crystallizes into doubt. The two blend and become fear. The blending process is often slow. This is one reason why these three enemies are so dangerous. They germinate and grow without their presence being observed, right? Oftentimes it's just subconscious. So we need to be aware of these three enemies. You know, why does he go to the trouble of writing a 15th chapter in the book? We've covered the 13 principles. principles. What he's suggesting here is that this chapter, overcoming these three enemies, this is basically like a prerequisite for putting the 13 principles into play. So very, very, very important. Sometimes I wish that he would have put this at the beginning of the book, you know, so we had some upfront work to do, but um, incredible chapter. So thankful that it's here, obviously. And we need to just be aware that these three enemies, indecision, doubt, and fear are catastrophic as it pertains to not only applying the 13 principles, but especially the principle of the sixth sense, as he mentions here. Next key point, the six basic fears. Now he writes quite a bit about these fears. I'm not gonna go into that. I'm hoping that, and I trust that you're reading these chapters too before you come in and watch these videos in the video series for repetition's sake, right? And there's that success guide below, which is gonna have the key points we're covering here. It's gonna have all the exact exercises that you can do on your own that are from the book. And it also has a lot of thought-provoking questions, especially after this chapter. So I hope you'll download that. There's a link below. But these six basic fears, Napoleon says that there are six basic fears with some combination of which every human suffers at one point or another. Named in the order of their most common appearance, they are the fear of poverty, criticism, ill health, loss of love of someone, old age and death. He says all other fears are of minor importance. They can be grouped under these six headings. So think about any fear that you've experienced in your life or maybe a fear that you're struggling with now. What I found is that you can probably categorize that and, and, and bucket it under one of these six categories, right? I've done a lot of introspection, especially as it relates to this chapter. And I've thought back onto a lot of fears that I've experienced through my life. And every single time I can categorizing it under these categories, sometimes it's under two or three, sometimes it's under one. It doesn't really matter. He's just trying to do his best to categorize 
the fears that we all experience as human beings, right? Next key point here, states of mind. I love this one on page 204. He says, fears are nothing more than states of mind. One state of mind is subject to control and direction. Physicians, as everyone knows, are less subject to attack by disease than ordinary laymen for the reason that physicians do not fear disease. So interesting concept here, right? Fears are nothing more than states of mind. And if you've studied the Course in Miracles, you know that one of the main ideas of that entire course is the fact that we all operate from and we make decisions from either a place of fear or a place of love. And it's so important to remember that fear is just simply a state of mind, right? I would much rather go through my life and you know, come from a place of love than a place from, of, of fear. We all know that when you come from a place of fear, typically the outcome isn't so good for you, for the people surrounding you, for the greater good. It's just never that great, <laughs> you know? So it's very important to understand. Fear is a state of mind. Love's a state of mind, right? So we can, we can move over to the dis different stream of consciousness, as Napoleon talks about in an earlier chapter. We can choose the stream that brings us forward towards learning and growth and riches and wealth and all these things that we may desire in life and love too, right? So important point here. Key point number four, absolute control. I'm on page 205. I love this one. He says that nature has endowed man with absolute control over but one thing, and that is thought. This fact, coupled with the additional fact that everything which man creates began in the form of a thought, leads one very near to the principle by which fear may be mastered. And we've talked a lot about standing guard at the door of your mind during this entire video series, right? That, that theme, that idea has come up quite a few times. We have absolute control over our thoughts. You know, uh, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, he says that, you know, people can take everything away from us, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, our ability to choose our response under any conditions, under any circumstances, if you're a follower of Stephen Covey, he's a, he's a big mentor in my life. Seven Habits, he talks about, you know, there's a stimulus and a response. And in the middle of that is our freedom, our ability to choose our response, right? So we have absolute control over one thing in the world is what Napoleon Hill is suggesting here, and that's our own thoughts. Very, very empowering idea there. Next key point, indecision. I'm on page 221. And 222, he says that worry is a form of sustained fear caused by indecision. Therefore, it is a state of mind which can be controlled. An unsettled mind is helpless. Indecision makes an unsettled mind. Most individuals lack the willpower to reach decisions promptly and to stand by them after they have been made, even during normal business conditions. During periods of economic unrest, such as the world recently experienced, the individual is handicapped, not alone by his inherent nature to be slow at reaching decisions, but he is influenced by the indecision of others around him who have created a state of mass indecision. 
page 222 now. He says, kill the habit of worry in all of its forms by reaching a general blanket decision that nothing which life has to offer is worth the price of worry. With this decision will come poise, peace of mind, and calmness of thought, which will bring happiness. I made a decision a long time ago that life was too short to worry. And life was too short to be living from a place of fear. And life was too short to be angry and frustrated, right? I want to feel good, you know? I want to have peace of mind in my life. I want to have stillness. I want to come from a place of inner peace. That's what I'm striving for is inner peace. So what he's suggesting here is that the moment you make a decision, you will have poise. You will have peace of mind. You will have calmness of thought, which will bring happiness. I like that. And what's interesting is he's talking about this period of unrest, economic unrest. He's referring back to the depression. Well, here we are sitting in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. This is also a period of unrest, isn't it? So during this period of unrest, if mass indecision is happening all around us in the world, what decisions can you make promptly and swiftly and never look back on? What decisions can you make with a definiteness of purpose to help you move forward in life and to get that peace of mind that Napoleon's referring to here. Something important to think about. Next key point, vibrations of fear, page 222. Even a dog or a horse knows when its master lacks courage. Moreover, a dog or a horse will pick up the vibrations of fear thrown off by its master and behave accordingly. Lower down the line of intelligence in the animal kingdom, one finds this same capacity to pick up the vibrations of fear. A honeybee immediately senses fear in the mind of a person. For reasons unknown, a bee will sting the person whose mind is releasing vibrations of fear. Much more readily than it will molest the person whose mind registers no fear. I just experienced this two nights ago with my daughter. We had an unbelievable thunderstorm at like two in the morning. And my four-year-old daughter, you know, opens up the door and she's like, Mom, Dad, I'm scared. So, you know, we usually bring her back to bed, but the storm was going to last a while. It was pretty crazy. So I think for the first time maybe ever, we invited her in to sleep with us. And she is literally like a spindle. I mean, she's like the karate kid in bed. And it's not fun to sleep with my daughter. You know, it's just crazy. And we never get any sleep. So it was the last thing we wanted to do, but the storm was last long. So we, we invited her in. And she was all huddled up, right? It's like there was a crack of thunder and she huddled up like this, like we were watching a scary movie or something. And I held her and I could sense that my heart was about to beat a little faster. Like her fear was influencing my fear. So I took a couple deep breaths and I just really focused on, you know, sending love and peace and calmness and safety through my body. And within like 15 seconds, she was back to bed. And every time that thunder cracked, which was probably a dozen more times, we were really holding ourselves together in this state of safety. So there's really something here. If I would have gotten all scared, or if my wife and I were like, oh my gosh, yeah, that old gosh is crazy. And if we're flinching with the thunder, that she's going to pick up on that energy, right? She's going to read that energy and it's going to run off on her. It's going to rub off on her. So very interesting point here about this vibrations of fear.
All right, next key point, kickback. I'm on page 223 now. Pretty neat idea here. Napoleon says, the person who gives expression by word of mouth to negative or destructive thoughts is practically certain to experience the results of those words in the form of a destructive kickback. The release of destructive thought impulses alone without the aid of words produces also a kickback in more ways than one. First of all, and perhaps most important to be remembered, the person who releases thoughts of a destructive nature must suffer damage through the breaking down of the faculty of creative imagination. Secondly, the presence in the mind of any destructive emotion develops a negative personality which repels people and often converts them into antagonists. The third source of damage to the person who entertains or releases negative thoughts lies in this significant fact. These thought impulses are not only damaging to others, but they embed themselves in the subconscious mind of the person releasing them and therefore become a part of his character. So there's this idea, this reminds me of karma, right? We hear about this idea of karma, karma, what comes around goes around kind of a thing. Well, what Napoleon's suggesting here is that this is true for our own thoughts. Like, I don't know if we appreciate the magnitude of this idea of standing guard at the door of our minds. Because Napoleon's suggesting here that karma works with just simply our thoughts alone. I mean, that's fascinating. So once again, what do our dominating thoughts look like? Are they coming from a place of negativity? Or are they coming from a place of empowerment and positivity, right? So incredible idea here, this idea of kickback. Next key point here, seventh basic evil. I'm on page 224. Napoleon says, in addition to the six basic fears, there is another evil by which people suffer. It constitutes a rich soil in which the seeds of failure grow abundantly. It is so subtle that its presence is often not detected. This affliction cannot properly be classed as a fear. It is more deeply seated and more often fatal than all the six fears. For want of a better name, let us call this evil susceptibility to negative influences. Men who accumulate great riches always protect themselves against this evil. The poverty-stricken never do. Those who succeed in any calling must prepare their minds to resist the evil. Gosh, negative influences. You know, the environment we keep, what we focus on, what we think about. This is such a powerful idea, the seventh basic evil, because it's not easy. You know, we live in this information age between the news and the headlines and all the advertisements online and our cell phones, the text messages, the social media feeds. It's out of control. And if we're not careful, we might let in on that, a lot of these negative influences that Napoleon talks about. I mean, if he's suggesting that there's this sixth basic evil or seventh basic evil and it was harmful back then, Imagine 100 years later, almost 100 years, how harmful it is now, right? So we have to really be cautious of this. And we have to really do our best to eradicate these negative influences from our lives. And he says, men who accumulate great riches always protect themselves against this evil. Well, what if we're talking about riches as it relates to our health? Think about anyone we know who's got unbelievable health. Do they protect the influences coming in? You bet they do. 
Think about anyone who has like just awesome peace of mind or happiness or, or you know, calmness about them or love or whatever it is. Are they proactively protective against negative influences? You bet they are. So this doesn't only have to do with financial wealth and riches. It has to do with riches in every single area of your life. So important, right? Next key point here, protect yourself with willpower. I'm on page 224. He says, to protect yourself against these negative influences, whether of your own making or the result of the activities of negative people around you, recognize that you have a willpower and put it into constant use until it builds a wall of immunity against negative influences in your own mind. And I'm going to move on to 230 here. He goes on to say, if you must be careless with your possessions, let it be in connection with material things. Your mind is your spiritual estate. Protect and use it with the care to which divine royalty is entitled. You were given a willpower for this purpose. I love that. I absolutely love that. What better way to put your own willpower to good use, right? Next key point, brainchild. I'm on page uh, 234 now. He says, building alibis with which to explain away failure is a national pastime. The habit is as old as the human race and it is fatal to success. Why do people cling to their pet alibis? The answer is obvious. They defend their alibis because they create them. A man's alibi is the child of his own imagination. It is human nature to defend one's own brainchild. Wow, that's fascinating. So we build these alibis, we build these excuses for why we, oh, I can't do that, or I'm too you know, small for this, or I'm too overweight for that, or I can't afford this, or I'll never, I'm never gonna be smart enough to you know, learn that, or whatever it is, we build these own alibis, and then our brain, by the way it's designed and wired, backs up those alibis. We're literally trying to prove a point to ourselves when we back up our own thoughts, right? So he calls that the brain child. I think that's so interesting. Man's alibi is the child of his own imagination. It is human nature to defend one's own brain child. So anything's possible, isn't it? Like any limiting belief of any kind that we've created for ourselves or that was created through the environment that we're in or society or culture or our parents or religion or whatever it is, we can overcome that. We can change that limiting belief to a powerful one, to a more meaningful one, right? We don't have to sit there and defend those beliefs when they're limiting our ability to live at our highest level. It's a really, really powerful key point. Next key point here, time, I'm on page 235. Second to last key point of this video series. Okay, let's go. In parting, I would remind you that life is a checkerboard and the player opposite you is time. If you hesitate before moving, or neglect to move promptly, your men will be wiped off the board by time. You are playing against a partner who will not tolerate indecision. Time is such a precious commodity, isn't it? I mean, it's the one thing we can't get back in life. So here's that idea again about indecision. It says you are playing against a partner, time, who will not tolerate indecision. 
And this is so powerful. The player opposite you in your life is time. You know, we are here for like this little parentheses in eternity. We are here for no time at all. And if we are looking to do something, if we are looking to build a business or lose the weight or quit the addiction or improve our health or, you know, gain more wealth or whatever it is, the time to do that is now. Time, our greatest opponent on this earth, will not tolerate indecision. So something to think about there. Last but not least, the master key. I love this. I'm just a little bit lower on page 235 here. He says, previously you may have had a logical excuse for not having forced life to come through with whatever you asked. But that alibi is now obsolete because you are in possession of the master key that unlocks the door to life's bountiful riches. The master key is intangible, but it is powerful. It is the privilege of creating in your own mind a burning desire for a definite form of riches. There is no penalty for the use of the key, but there is a price you must pay if you do not use it. The price is failure. There is a reward of stupendous proportions if you put the key to use. It is the satisfaction that comes to all who conquer self and force life to pay whatever is asked. The reward is worthy of your effort. Will you make the start and be convinced? Wow, what a powerful way to close out these 13 principles. The master key. So by reading this book, we now have the master key, these 13 principles. We now have the ability with our own mind to create a burning desire, right? So will we use that master key or will we fail to use it, right? And he's suggesting here that the price that you pay in life is failure if you fail to use that key. So pretty powerful, pretty potent call to action here at the end of the book. So that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this video series. We have now covered all 15 chapters in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. It's one of my favorite books of all time. At the beginning of this, in the preface, I shared with you what I believe the secret to this book is. And the secret was this. You can exchange money for anything you want in life. Literally, of course you can if you have enough money, right? But figuratively speaking, you can exchange money for anything you want in life as you read through this book. You can exchange the word money, you can exchange riches, you can exchange financial and wealth with anything you want, whether that's more happiness, more peace of mind, um, less weight, you know, financial riches, whatever it is, better relationships. You can exchange anything you want in life with this book. So I hope this was powerful for you. I'm so excited to announce the next video series we are going to do a deep dive in one of another one of my favorite books of all time, Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to my channel so that you can get notified when I launch the next success guide and the next video series on The Alchemist. We're going to be doing a deep dive there and making sure that we're stripping out and extracting all the key principles in that book. And I'll be coming out with that success guide again to help you through some journaling exercises and to help you implement all the principles in The Alchemist in your own life. So again, my name is Sean Rosenstiel. Thanks so much for going on this journey with me. It's been a real honor and a privilege. 
and I've even learned a lot along the way. So thanks for all your positive feedback since the beginning of the journey, and I look forward to seeing you and serving you in the next video. Take care.